0: Hey everyone, coming to you live from my kitchen at AKA. Here's an honest review of one of my favorite places to stay, run by some of the best people I know. Seriously. If you're someone like me who needs a place to work and live for a week or longer, I travel a lot, you know, doing these stories, I would highly recommend a stay at AKA. The truth is, I don't love renting someone else's place. It never really feels clean to me. At AKA you get the best of both worlds. Plenty of space to spread out like it's your own home. Full kitchen with all the amenities and service of a luxury hotel. The best night's sleep and it's sparkling clean. You guys gotta check them out.
1: Hi, I'm Hannah Scarla and I co-founded The Little Market with Lauren Conrad and you're watching Behind the Brand with Brian Elliott.
0: Hi everyone, I'm Brian Elliott. Welcome to another edition of Behind the Brand. Hannah, welcome to the show. Thank
1: you so much for having me.
0: I usually ask my guests, how'd you get this job?
1: (sighs) That's a great question. Um, I made this job up, um, When yeah, I I don't know. We kind of, when Lauren and I built the little market, we wrote down what we wanted our roles and responsibilities to be, and mine continue to evolve as do hers, and I get to make up my job every day.
0: I like to tell origin stories, so let's go back in the chronology, as far back as you want to go. Okay. Um, and kind of tell me, what did you want to be when you grew up? Like, did you What did you aspire to be when you were a kid?
1: I either wanted to be a vet and help animals, or later on I then wanted to be in the fashion space. Um, so I went to FITM, the Fashion Institute of Design and Merchandising in uh, Orange County, California, where I'm from, as are you. Um, and that's where Lauren and I met. Um, and shortly after, we started traveling.
0: Okay, so you guys do have a history. We do. I gotcha. And so the vet part, we sort of share a love of animals as well. I am um, I have dogs. Same. And so what do you think it was about wanting to be a vet? Did you want to rescue animals or save animals? Or? Uh,
1: yeah, I always wanted to rescue animals. Um, we have a couple of rescue pets now. Um, I just always connected with animals and felt like they needed a voice. They needed someone to speak up for them.
0: Yeah, and what kind of family do you come from? Are your parents pretty traditional? What do they do?
1: That's a good question. I don't think traditional would be the word to describe my family. Um, my family is from Orange County. I grew up with two brothers, and we, ha- and shortly after we were out of the house for college, my family adopted my little brother and sister from Ethiopia, um, and that was one of the best things that's ever happened to us. Um, but I think, you know, my family, my parents m- made a huge effort to raise us understanding that the world, the world needs you to give back, and that each of us has incredible responsibility, um, and that with any kind of opportunity, you should use that to do good. Um, and that was really just something that was ingrained in us from a really young age.
0: Yeah, I mean, walking the talk, I mean, uh, ad- adopting one, let alone two children is not a small deal. Uh, what did what do did your parents do did they both work
1: yeah so my dad's um a workaholic he's still working all the time yeah. and then my mom had jobs with nonprofits so growing up she actually used to write grants for the boys and girls club in santa ana
0: and and what was the reaction when you said i want to go to the fashion institute i want to you know be this creative type
1: well so that's not really how that happened um my parents were very academic so starting in like 6th grade we were doing practice sat's Um, taking them, doing, you know, the whole workbook front to back. And I really, you know, when I was in ninth grade, I had my big rebellion. And I was like, I'm not going to take the SATs. So it turns out fashion school lets you in without them. (laughs) So it wasn't actually my love of fashion that took me to fashion school. It was just I didn't have another option for college.
0: That was your rebellion then? That
1: was my rebellion.
0: Okay, awesome. I'm beginning to see a little bit of the psychology. Yes. Okay, and then what what ended up happening? You kind of fell in love with it?
1: I knew I always loved shopping, as so many of us do. Um, I can't draw at all, Um, but Lauren Kett. Lauren's actually an incredible artist. She has a ton of different skills. Um, And we, we met. We had both been from Orange County. I had had the opportunity to travel a lot growing up because part of my parents wanting us to see the world and see this kind of responsibility to do good was to actually see things on the ground. Instead of just hearing stories, be able to connect with people, understand how lucky we were to have our lives, um, and that we should figure out ways you know, to do good for others. Um, So I had gotten to travel a lot. Lauren, because of her success, had written a bunch of New York Times bestselling novels, so she had traveled a lot in the US, but not so much internationally. Um, So I told her, okay, when her book tour slowed down, I'd plan a trip for her to go visit nonprofits on the ground in Africa, because she had never been. Um, and th- we, I mean, before that we had already traveled together um, on surf trips and that kind of thing, and yeah. always enjoyed finding local marketplaces and shopping and discovering new treasures, bringing them back to our friends, meeting the you know amazing artisans who made these things and hearing the stories of the items and the artisans' lives. Um, but so specifically on this trip to Africa, we went to visit nonprofits that were working to help women and girls. And um, we were trying to figure out, you know, was there a specific campaign Lauren could support? Um, you know, how could we do kind of the most good?
0: And hey, give me an idea like what year this was for context.
1: It was probably 2009-ish. Okay. Um, And so probably around, it was around 2010-ish that we started taking these trips.
0: Okay. Yeah, I'm just trying to get some context because um, sometimes the timing matters, you know? Yeah, of course. Um, we were sort of talking off camera, um, and maybe thinking about where we were in two thousand eight, two thousand nine, two thousand ten, the economy was in a totally different place. Um, and so maybe in, uh, maybe talk to me about the psychology of that, whether that had some effect or weight on your decisions or not. In my case, for example, I you know I started this production company right into like at the beginning of two thousand eight, sort of heading into the perfect storm. I had no idea I was just going to get swallowed up. Sure. Becoming small, nimble, you know, doing my own thing, ended up. Being the best thing I could have ever done, because when all the big budgets were getting cut and all the people with big jobs were getting fired, I was nimble. I was hungry. I was scrappy, resourceful. I was willing to do anything. You want a video? You got. It. What is it about? I don't even care. Let's do it. Um, so, what was your what was your state of mind during those times?
1: Our traveling really started closer to two thousand twelve, so it wasn't. I mean, the mindset was kind of different then. Um, at that point, though. We were really first I mean the first trips were just for fun and then when we went to Africa it was we were already committed to finding a way to use her platform to give back.
0: So you guys were very close were you college roommates or I mean
1: No so we so we met at um we met at yeah. and then we hit it off there okay. and then we ended up reconnecting later um, we did like a really fun trip to Bali okay. um, we traveled to El Salvador um, and we were great travel buddies. She's a lot of fun. Yeah. And we have a good time. Together.
0: So you're like, let's do something together.
1: Let's do something. Okay. And she was already starting a lot of stuff. Yeah. Okay. So, if, so she already had her Kohl's line. She was working on a lot of different other things. She keeps herself really busy um, and always has a lot of different creative outlets for all of her different skills. Yeah.
0: So she had some momentum. Yes. And, you know, she had a bit of a track record. Well,
1: and she also knew how to run a business. She had already been in businesses before. She had already done clothing lines before. Things I had never done. Yeah. Um, and I... Because I had kind of in my background had the opportunity to see so much nonprofit work and at that time I was actually interning at a nonprofit called Human Rights Watch Which is one of the premier organizations that does human rights work. Um, They operate in 90 different countries investigating and exposing human rights abuses, but through them I kind of got what I felt like was a boot camp and how to run the most honorable nonprofit possible.
0: Yeah, and then you had the roots from your mom.
1: And then I had roots from my mom and yeah, so had, all of that.
0: You had all the makings. And I, I, I'm always curious about the, the ramp up, right? Like, yeah. how did these things happen?
1: Well, so I was aware of a few, because of, of places my mom had shopped from, of a couple other online stores that were also nonprofits. And I thought, this is so cool. Of course, that's where my mom wanted to shop. That's where all her gifts came from.
0: Well, and by that time, Warby Parker was a thing.
1: Yeah, I'm like trying to remember, of course. We launched all of, it was like all of that was around the same time.
0: Um, Tom's.
1: Yep, of course Tom's.
0: Cause, and it was beginning to kind of get, I don't want to say buzzy, but it was, you know, becoming a.
1: People were understanding that they could make an impact with their purchase.
0: Responsibility was becoming a thing.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, so um, I had seen some of these other online stores that had been around since some of them, even since the 70s. And I thought, okay, well, what if we took Lauren's incredible design skill and insight on market trends and all of that and we're able to actually give these artisans design feedback. Right. Because we're looking to help women in remote villages who have been making something for tradition, you know, from passing on a tradition from generation to generation but they just don't have a way to get it to a bigger marketplace. Yeah. And through Lauren's platform we could create an online marketplace where hopefully that would work. That was the idea. Um, But no one's ever shared with these women before, okay, here's the colors of the year. Or for a pillowcase, it needs to be this size to fit on a standard pillow in the U.S. or a standard bed in the U.S. You know, there's so many things like that, that if you don't have internet access, they're never going to, you're never going to know about it. And it's never going to affect the way you. It's not
0: common knowledge. Correct. Yeah.
1: Um, So our goal was share this, with these women in rural villages so that they can keep doing something like making a basket from the comfort of their home while taking care of their kids, while preserving this incredible cultural tradition um, and bringing an income that they wouldn't otherwise have. Um, And that was the basic idea it started on. And when we shared that with people, People thought we were crazy. Mm -hmm. And they said, do you know how to do shipping and customs? They said, no, I don't, but I'll figure it out. So it's a logistical nightmare? Everything. Um, Do you know how to speak all these different languages? No, I don't, but I'll find somebody who does. Um, I mean, every kind of step of the way. Do you know how to run an online store? Nope, but I'll teach myself. Um, or I'll find somebody who do, as who can teach me. Um, I mean, we, it was really, we learned it all as we went. And we yeah. really wanted to be as scrappy as possible so that we could invest the money back into the product purchases. Because yeah. that's how we pay these women for their labor.
0: So let me uh, ask. Yeah. You know, a lot of people, I think, um, may be thinking about partnerships or they have a partner right now. Uh, you've been... Talking Lauren up as this incredible designer, and you know, she, of course, she had that experience from you know her entertainment career leading up to her deals with bigger department stores. But what is it that you think? What advice would you give to people who are thinking about finding partnerships? Or staying in a great partnership. How do you evaluate whether it's great or not?
1: Yeah, I mean I was really lucky that I got good advice while we were building this. And it was like I said at the beginning, establishing roles and responsibilities. So I remember being on the plane to India with Lauren and I had a spreadsheet out. And I was like, here's what I think I can do, here's what I know you can do. How does this sound?
0: Mm-hmm. Strengths and weaknesses. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It was Plus, it was that, column. but it was also I had a lot more time than she did. So I was you know, so understanding that that I would be doing this you know. Whatever it is, forty to sometimes eighty hours a week. Yeah. she doesn't have that to give. Yeah, but, but you're that's leveraging fine. the
0: cachet of her we'll, celebrity we'll popularity, out, her reach.
1: I mean, in her honestly, her incredible talents. You know, it's it's she has built a brand based on this aesthetic um, that is very much reflected in our products and our website.
0: Yeah, I mean, I can think of other you know um, people in the space. Someone like Kathy Ireland comes mm-hmm. to mind. You know, who can really, you know. Walk the walk the talk. Yeah. Um, so what are the, what what went wrong with the partnership? Let's talk about that. what or, you know, and I ask that in the context of um, sometimes we don't like to talk about the f word, which is failure, or sometimes even the other other f word fear. Um, but both of those are necessary to be successful, right? Like you you can't have success without failure. Mm-hmm. So sort of what went wrong um, and in order to get it right?
1: That's such a good question. I mean, I feel really grateful to say that we haven't had bumps in the road with our partnership. One of the things that I've been really, um, that's always been important to me is keeping our friendship and our work partnership separate. Um, Sometimes, of course, those bleed together. We just got home from a trip that wasn't work-related. Of course, I was bringing up work-related things because I don't get to see her as often as I used to, but, um, because we both are busy with families but other than that, like, sometimes it's strictly friendship and sometimes it's strictly work.
0: So, so what does that look like? How do you do it?
1: Um, I, I just kind of set aside time for different th- for each. If I'm calling with a work question, then I make that clear, this, this is gonna be work related. But if I'm calling to check in on her kids, then it's about that. And if it's party planning, it's that. Okay. So I really kind of keep them separate unless, unless, the f- it, unless it's appropriate for it to be fluid.
0: So it sounds like the lesson is set boundaries.
1: Yeah, I think it's really important. I mean, if some, like we were just celebrating her birthday, I wasn't bringing up work challenges or even opportunities during her birthday celebration. It was just, this is our friendship, this is our birth, you know, your birthday, let's celebrate that. And make
0: so it. you have a distinctive line. Okay, yeah. got it. Well, let's go back to the business a little yeah. bit. Obviously, um, you guys have learned a lot. Let me ask what you've learned and what's been sort of the most surprising thing along the way?
1: I think the most surprising thing is how many people are willing to share their knowledge and give their advice. Um, I've been really overwhelmed by how many people have made time to have a coffee with me to share what worked and didn't work with them and how much I can learn from that. Um, Everything from people sharing their actual organizational charts to job descriptions for various positions to um, different companies they're using to run their website or their AdWords.
0: Yeah. So let's unpack that a little bit. So did you seek those people out and you said, can I pick your brain or can you please help me or whatever it was? Yeah,
1: I did. I I would meet someone and then um, I love meeting new people. I love connecting with people. I love learning about people. And so I would always, when it was appropriate say, you know, can I take you to coffee? You know, and most people would love to give you, you know. 10 minutes to an hour if they can make the time to do it i know now that i'm busier i understand that that's actually a bigger ask because nobody actually has 10 minutes or an hour in their week because the weeks get so packed but
0: yeah uh, let me dig a little deeper then yeah. uh, down that one because uh, it can be challenging right uh.
1: i mean listen one one of my mentors now we had a re- like i asked she, i loved her brand um i met her and it was like a you know it was like me seeing the biggest celebrity ever And I said, can I please take you to coffee? She said, yes. We set a date, I got there, and she didn't show up. And I had her phone number, and I called her, and I was like, you think you're supposed to meet me here, but no pressure. Um, She was mortified. Um, She felt so bad that there was a mix-up, um, she then made it up to me more than tenfold. I was gonna
0: say, perfect. Now you have the guilt trip.
1: <laughs> no, she, I mean she was just an incredible person, and she her business has been around for fifteen years, and she has constantly been there for me to share wisdom, whether it's everything about opening up a, your first brick and mortar store to hiring to managing um, to marketing. It's it's a really incredible. Um, How
0: did you meet this person?
1: I met her at an event. Okay. Yeah.
0: How did you? Okay, so assuming that you don't want to divulge who it is.
1: Oh, it's yeah. Her name is Chelsea Shukoff. She started Sugar Paper.
0: Okay. That's one of the so you wanted to approach Chelsea. You see her at an event, and you probably are thinking, like all of us do, I have no business talking to this person. They're out of my league, or you know, how do? You, what have I? How do you get, get past that? Well, I mean, you can get past it by just blowing through a stop sign and just going, right? But um, it doesn't always work out.
1: Well, I think for me, I feel like it's really hard to get to the place where you're actually in the room with the people you want to meet. So once that happens, you know, you want to get invited to the places where you could actually meet these people. Okay. So once you happen to be in a space where you have the opportunity to talk to someone you've admired for so long, um, I feel like it's your one shot. And as long as you're polite um, and respectful, um, and have appropriate boundaries. I think most people um, really appreciate. They know how hard it was for them to start their business, and they're often really excited to be able to share some of that wisdom with somebody else.
0: Yeah, has it ever had the opposite effect where you've, you know, you've gone in, and I
1: mean, I'm sh- I, yeah, nothing's coming to mind. I think most people are really nice to your face, so but maybe quirky. you'll never see you. <laughs> Yes, oh, that's true. I am very fortunate. Yeah, nobody's been rude about anything.
0: Yeah, I mean, in my experience, no one's really been rude, but they've made it very clear that they're I mean, out of my league.
1: I've had many unreturned emails, but I don't yeah. take that personally.
0: Yeah, I mean, you can't. You can't. Um, I was just curious if you if you had any particular insight on you know the approach because um, Adam Grant, who's an author, um, I, I love his books. He's written. Well, he actually gave this really popular TED Talk called Givers and Takers. Mm. And are you familiar with it? Yes. Yeah, so he has this whole theory that, you know, um, the takers are not as successful as the givers, except, the, you know, the givers always feel like they're always giving yeah. and never receiving. And so it's like, how do you go into someone who is, you know, more successful or, you know, um, let's say it's a romantic approach. They're better looking. You feel like, you know, you're intimidated. How do you do that?
1: Well, in the business sense for me, um, I work around their schedule. Yeah. So if they don't have a break or Friday's the only day they do out-of-office meetings um, or they don't leave their actual workplace, then I'm willing to bring you coffee. What can I do to make this easier for you?
0: Right, right. And then uh, how do you... They always
1: bring a gift because I know that they're giving me something and I'm really, I mean, I truly am grateful for that person's time.
0: Yeah. And what kind of gift is it? Like, uh, well,
1: something from the little market, of course. Okay. So usually like a personalized candle with their name so that they know it wasn't just something I had on hand.
0: Okay. I think that's super good advice. And, and maybe it's subtle what you're saying, so I just want to underscore yeah. it for no, maybe people for who are watching. is, um, you know, It's personalized. Mm-hmm. Um, you're thinking about their time, not your time. Um, you also understand that you may get no
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, and that maybe it's no for now.
1: I've also driven across town for meetings where the meeting changed, you know, five weeks in a row. I show up for what I'm expecting to be an hour, and they say, just, you know, we only have 20 minutes. I say, no problem. Thank you so much. Can I buy your coffee?
0: Yeah, yeah. You know,
1: you really have to understand that people that are, or I had to understand that people that are that successful are incredibly busy, and it really is a gift, like, Time is our biggest gift, so yeah. Yeah. the fact that someone's giving you any of their time is a really big deal, and it's something to be honored and appreciated.
0: Yeah, we agree on that for sure. I think maybe um, I have a little bit more experience in the rejection <laughs> department, and we can, maybe that's a, a video for another time. I've, I've flown to New York to meet someone, and they've canceled on me. Um, and it was like, sorry. So you just eat it, and then you fly back home. <laughs> Uh, you take a walk in Central Park. And
1: Make the best of it.
0: Then you have some pizza, New York pizza, and then you fly back home.
1: And then you hope you'll get that busy and that successful one day.
0: Yeah. Uh, so let's stay on this thread a little bit, which is uh, you'll get to know me that I ask the questions very selfishly that I want to know so I can get over these things myself. So... Um, Sometimes, you know, uh, when you get rejected like that, your feelings get hurt. You mm-hmm. said, you know, I don't take it personally when people don't answer my emails. It's probably one of my biggest pet peeves, just the whole ghosting thing.
1: I'll say this I didn't understand it at the beginning, yeah. because at the beginning, I didn't have that many emails. Now I have so many emails that I understand that you can't get through your own workload if you're responding to all these incoming inquiries. Right. And so that's why now I don't take it personally. At the time I was like, really? That person saw my email and just hit delete or I'm gonna skip? Um, So at the time I definitely didn't love it, um, but now at least I have a little bit more understanding for it.
0: Yeah, Uh, so let's get into the sort of personal vein. Uh, Again, going back into my thought process, which is how do you, uh, if you take something like that personally, has there ever been a time where someone sort of wronged you or done, done you wrong? Um, do you hold grudges at all? H- have you struggled with that at all?
1: I'm working to not hold grudges. Okay. Um, Tell me more. No, I, I mean, I think it's really hard when... I mean, I think it's what makes us human. When somebody wrongs you, it's it's hard to let go right away. Yeah. Um, but I've definitely learned that holding on to anything like that doesn't serve you at all. Yeah. Um, and to just... It's better to just move on. But try to learn from whatever happened, however you can.
0: Yeah, so did that um, experience happen during the time that you were building your business or did it happen before?
1: I mean, I feel like there's plenty of times before, during, after. Yeah.
0: Do you give that person a second chance? The person. Do you remember the person who wronged you?
1: Um, as far as second chances, it really just depends on what the instance is. Mm-hmm. I think there's, I mean, I definitely am like fool me once, shame, you know, so I don't, I try to really learn from any mistakes and then change my behavior or change how I'd handle a a future situation. Yeah,
0: They burned you before and now they're applying for CMO job at your company. It's
1: probably not going to happen. It's never going to happen.
0: Yeah. Uh, Okay. Yeah, it reminds reminds me of two things. Um, I learned so much uh, from talking with really experienced business people like you. Um, uh, It reminds me of what Rain Wilson Tommy, we're talking off-camera about Rain, Rain's Dwight from The Office, and we talked about revenge and being vengeful and holding grudges, and he said, remember, Brian, that holding a grudge is a lot like drinking poison and expecting yes. the other person to die.
1: Correct. Um, I love that.
0: So it's... It it's no doesn't serve you at all. Let's talk about brand. Okay. The show's called Behind the Brand. Uh, so, so we pull back the curtain, we, we look at your brand. Um, in your definition, what, what is a brand?
1: It's an identity. Um, it's really everything for your business. It's how the world sees you. It's how you present yourself. Um, it's, it's who you are. It's, it's, it's the products, and ser- products or service you offer, but it's also how you do it. You know, um, it's, are you a quality? You know, do you care about quality? Do you care about quantity? Um, it's really, to me, it's everything that defines a company.
0: Uh, so how are you building your brand?
1: a great question. Um, So for us, I mean, internally, and as far as the team we build, we look because we're a nonprofit and our mission is to create job opportunities for people in communities that wouldn't otherwise have them. You know, we really look to serve the most vulnerable populations through income opportunities. Um, And so for us, as we build our team, it means identifying people who care about that mission.
0: And can I then ask why? So I'm playing devil's advocate a little bit, you know, like, um, a phrase that someone said to me is, you know, we're not all truistic. We're a little truistic. Mm-hmm. We're always a little bit in it for ourselves. So, so why why is that your mission? Why is that important to you?
1: Um, I think because I feel incredibly lucky for the life I have. And I feel, I feel like um, birth really is a lottery. Um, and I could have been born anywhere, but I was born to a family who could take care of me, who could love me, and who could provide for me. Um, And not everybody's that lucky. And for me, it really was that simple. I mean, once I began traveling and seeing that there were these incredible families all over the world, but didn't have, you know, the parents didn't have money to send their kids to school. And if they did, it was just the son, not the daughter. And they'd have to choose between school fees and buying vegetables. You know, I saw that there was so much struggle. um, But here in the U.S., people want to buy things. And so if we could solve some of that problem and create, you know, bring more money to people where it would make a huge difference by simply having products that were handmade by them, that seemed like an incredible solution and a win-win.
0: Yeah, it's such a good, it's such a good mission. You know, um, the pushback companies like yours get, I would think, because I think it, I'm very skeptical is like, well, you know, that's just, you know, that's just all in, in your benefit, right? Um, I, I hear and I feel the authenticity. And I think the way that you're describing it is if, if we don't do something.
1: Look you, could look, you could always think that. And so that's why we are a 501c3 nonprofit. Yeah. So you can look, everything is transparent. And Lauren and I don't take a salary. We never wanted anyone to look at this as they created this business where they could tell this incredible story, and they're putting money in their own pockets. It was never about that. It's-
0: yeah, and, and I guess where I'm going with this eventual question um, is, I want to sort of have you kind of frame or give me your opinion about how companies can do corporate responsibility well or better than we're doing it right now. I feel, I feel you. I feel the the you know the the empathy uh, as you tell me the story. I feel like. Maybe you felt like you were being complicit uh, unless you took some sort of action to be the change that you wanted to see. Or you, know, you felt like um, your particular um, circumstances in life were more for- fortunate than others. And, and so how could you not do something in sort of that stance? But then there are companies that are doing it because it's buzzy. Yes, and so let's talk about that for a second. So, if you're a company, a brand that wants to start doing something, and it reminds me of, um, it reminds me of the Tom's shoe story, which is also very organic and authentic and completely legit. Um, and I love that story. How can companies, like, so what are we doing wrong in that space, and how can we do it better than people are doing it?
1: Um, I think it looks different for each company because yeah. it goes back to brand. So what's the right fit for your brand? So obviously the Warby Parker or Thomas model where it's one for one, that's very obvious and very on brand. Um, I think every company is a little bit different so it it can be what feels, you know, what's appropriate. And it can also have to do with the founder's passions. You know, if if someone really cares about education then maybe they give a percentage of proceeds to support education. It can. Re- I think it has to be the right fit and it has to be authentic. Yeah. Um, and I think that it can't just be around a marketing push. It has to be something that you're authentically doing.
0: Yeah, I'll give you an example. And I don't want to um, disparage this very large um, legacy chocolate brand, for example, but in their city where they lived, you know, the founder started a school mm-hmm. for uh, disadvantaged children. Mm-hmm. Um, and now they give candy out um, you know to sort of help people and I thought they 're giving candy to children. I, I know the intention is good, but like candy 's not that great for kids, even though it promotes your chocolate brand. It feels like you 're seeding the market <laughs> like you 're just sort of getting them addicted to to your brand of of candy so that when they grow up they 're going to have that brand you know so i I, I kind of called b s on them mm-hmm. um, and they said, no, 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 you know, we're, we're trying to do great. So we have this school over here, and the money goes from here over here. And, and I just had a... It's it, going good. I just sent up the, uh, the, the red flags for me.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I would say that goes back to building the right team. I think you have to be able to have people on your team who will let you know if it sounds like a bad decision and aren't afraid to argue with you and aren't afraid to say that doesn't seem right or doesn't sit right or I don't think the public appearance of that is going to be good. Yeah. And I think that really does all go back to having the right brand yeah. because when you do something like that and it doesn't sit right for people, that's a lot worse than having done it at all.
0: Yeah. So in my opinion, and I've read a lot of books on this, but you know, the way I understand brand is, I think the easiest way to say it is your brand is your reputation mm-hmm. and it lives in other people, not in you. So as much as we want to you know build our brand grow our brand promote our brand um, if you have a hundred customers, you have a hundred different brand um, uh, yeah uh, opinions if you have a million customers, you have a million different opinions and they're constantly changing um, Some brands screw up their brand by making you know lousy Super Bowl commercials or trying to do uh, the right thing the wrong way, you can think of lots of examples where um, like a big apparel company tried to capitalize on a natural disaster That's and right. um, and it backfired so um, what are some more ways um, that people can continue to sort of manage that brand and tell us because you know you're at the top, you're at the helm. How are you um, how are you thinking about the future and evolving that brand and making sure that people have the sort of experiences that you are hoping that they'll have?
1: Um, that's a really good question. I mean for us we now have two retail stores. Yeah. So when we're hiring for those teams, we actually call our retail teams ambassadors. Yeah. You know, they, those those women and men that work there are often going to be the only person customers are going to meet that represent the little market. Um, yeah. and that actually goes for our customer service team as well. It's any, any interaction and actually social media too. You know, when you're commenting on behalf of the little market for social media, you're representing the brand. You're, you're now having a conversation with the customer yeah. on the brand's behalf. And so it's always doing that, um, in a way that is a, reflects the brand
0: so are those people well paid uh like you know in terms of like the scale or or is it pretty average
1: um for our retail team we are above average
0: okay because the fear always is you know those people are on the front line Mm -hmm. right it's like um this reference you know you have like the 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 bottle washer the dishwasher Mm -hmm. the the cook and then you have the chef and you know the dishwashers are the you know most disrespected but they're you know people that are on the front lines are the people that touch and interact with your brand. So how are you, how, what kind of training do you do and how do you? That's
1: a good question. Um, so we have, we have a lot of training, especially because all of our items are handmade. Yeah. So there's the product side training and product knowledge and who made it and where's it from and care instructions and all of that yep. Um. to then kind of the brand training, who we are. You know, a lot of people love to come into the store and say, you're a store, but a nonprofit, what does that mean? Usually there's like some kind of jokes too. Um, and so our tri- our team has now really understands what that means. So yeah. they're prepared to answer those questions.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, another question I was thinking about is why brick and mortar now from online?
1: So because we're, our items are handmade, there's so many variations and it's part of what makes the items so beautiful. So for example, if you order a set of glassware each one's hand blown and then hand etched, so no two are alike. If you order a set of eight, you're going to have different sizes, different heights, different widths, slightly different flower designs.
0: And so, really interact with the product is to be
1: able to see it is huge. Um, it also what we found is once people see the quality in person, then they feel comfortable to go online. Okay, but especially with home decor and items in your home, you really want to see the color because no matter how well we color match for online, different computers have different colors. You really want to be able to get a sense of is this a color I like for my home?
0: And and so what keeps you up at night now?
1: That's a good question. Um, my team. It's uh, that's usually the only thing that keeps me up or that I kind of like have moments where I fall asleep thinking about them or keep me stressed. Um, what you about it? I just I always I'm a people pleaser, so I want everybody to be happy and when I can tell somebody is not, it's very uncomfortable for me.
0: I was going to ask, how's that working for you? (laughs) Not
1: great. Or you mean the part that keeps me up at night or? No,
0: I mean, worrying about other people because- Oh
1: yeah, worrying about other people is never a good idea.
0: Yeah, so how are you managing that?
1: Um, I try to, I mean, we have an incredible team. Um, I think it's just like anything. If there's one unhappy person, everybody can
0: feel it. No, let's face it. I mean, um, you could have the most incredible team and there are incompatible um, relationships or personalities or, you know, uh, life happens and it's like, you know, this person could spend 100 hours at work and then they had a child and now they need to cut that in half. Sure. Stuff happens. But I'm just, you know, I'm thinking about other founders and CEOs yeah. who are managing their business. Maybe you can impart some wisdom, like how you're dealing with it.
1: Um, I mean, I guess I'm going to go back to my email line and just say I tried I tried to take none of it personally because I don't think you know it's not about me um but I'm just trying to figure out ways to do other team building activities and keep things fun for the team so that if there ever is um so that no one gets taken down by somebody else
0: okay so are you is it about um the relationships or is it about the inequality like sometimes in in an organization it can be um, very hierarchical mm. uh, ours or, is
1: not like that And okay. that's really intentional we i mean if if we didn't have to have managers i'd rather we didn't
0: because there's a big luggage company that just had a big blow up with their founders um and sort of the corporate toxic corporate culture okay. um and it was a huge 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 problem they you know everyone probably knows exactly who i'm talking about, but like i, I Again, I'm asking to maybe yeah. for possible well, so- solutions.
1: No, I mean, s- as far as keeping the team happy, for us, it's really about creating a work life balance. Yeah. It's really, we expect a 40 hour work week, nothing more. Um, we like a really beautiful, positive work environment. We, you know, kind of like demand kindness and respect um, so that everybody can have their best work day possible and be able to just focus on yeah. the.
0: Is it um, pretty evenly split men to women, or is it all females? Or? Yeah.
1: It's um, almost always about 95% women.
0: Okay. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, it's, it's a for-women for pro, women product by women. Um, and yet, that can be a very interesting dynamic, too, when you, when you don't have balance, Right.
1: It's it's so funny. I I have men bring that up to me all the time. They're like, maybe some more guys. And I'm like, we really just don't get that many to apply. So if there's any guys watching, please send your resumes our way because we're happy to have you.
0: Final thoughts, final um, impart wisdom onto someone who... Let's go back to um, 18-year-old you Mm -hmm. and think about the kind of advice. Here here we are in 2020, Um, but if you were 18 now heading into this year, what kind of advice would you give?
1: Well, right when we were starting, it was just Lauren and I, and then it was time for our first hire. And another friend of mine who was running a business was like, "Do not go cheap on your first hire. Make your first hire your best hire, because otherwise you're going to have turnover, and um, and you want this person to be by your side forever. Um, so really pick someone great and invest in them. And we are so lucky that our executive director, was our first hire. She's so committed. We couldn't do this without her. Um, And I feel like that was really good advice. But I also, in addition, would say, I think, don't be afraid in investing. Um, I think it's really scary just in general when you are deciding between two options, whether it's people or even software, which should I spend on? And I can tell you, for example, I went with like a cheaper website to start with. We ended up having to convert to the website platform we're on now that ended up costing a lot more. So, if you're able to, you know, make the better decision the first time, then it will actually save you a lot of time, money, and heartache.